I want to just begin this introductory portion of scripture uh, as I was wrestling with what God would want me to teach. Uh, uh, at first, I thought today would be a day that I would speak on marriage and, and, and family. And then as I was kind of diving deep into Ephesians, I just kind of felt like, wow, it would be so good to just walk through Ephesians together with the church on Sunday morning. So today, uh, I, I want to begin there in Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to ask you a quick question. Who is God to you? Who is God to you? How do you perceive him to be? And what do you think are his intentions toward you? I'm going to ask that again. How do you perceive God to be? What, is, what do you perceive to be God's temperament toward you? How many of y'all know that God has emotions? How many of y'all know that emotions are not from the devil? We men tend to say stuff like, man, we don't cry. We don't cry, man. Better wipe that stuff. The reality is, is we cry, we hurt, there's pain, there's anger. And all of that is natural and normal, and all of that is God-given. God hurts. God weeps. God is angry at times. God is passionate. God is joyous. Now, my question is, what kind of temperament? What does God feel in your perspective when he looks toward you? How do you perceive God looking at you? Sadly, many, many of us have a distorted view of this. Many of us think that God is so angry that there's no way that we can ever be found to be pleasing to God. Many of us have this perspective that uh, when God looks down on us, He's just intent. His intent is to judge us and to bring down the gavel, right? And bring down His judgment because we're wicked. There are some who would even go to the extent that God's temperament towards humanity is solely judgment for the exception of a few that he picked out and the rest he's determined to send to eternal hellfire. And I would say, wow, what a terrible view of God. And man, what an incredible weight on our shoulders to have if we view God as this God who's constantly angry, who's auctioning our lives and paying attention to every detail of how we fall short. Who can bear that pressure? When I look at the scriptures, it seems to me I see a different picture of God. When I look at the scriptures, it seems to me that the scriptures paint a different picture of who God is. When I read the scripture, I, I don't see a God that I should run away from. Instead, I see a God that I should run into. When I read the scriptures, I don't see a God who's closing the door shut to sinners, but rather a God who is passionate in pursuing those who are lost. When I see the scripture, I don't, I don't see a God who is, again, selecting a few, but rather calling out to those who would believe in him and be saved. I see a God whose great mercy, whose great love and great compassion refuses to let us die in our sin, but pursues us, giving us every opportunity we can to respond to him. He is an irresistible God. But I do believe, I say this to this, say this, that the way we view God and the way we feel God feels about us will directly affect all our lives. The way we read every verse, the way we fellowship with the church, the way we think people see us, the way we see others, the way we raise our children. See, if I have false expectations on me because I feel like God is angry at me 
Because I never meet his expectations and I'm constantly going to be beating myself. And if I'm beating myself, these false expectations that I have on me, you ready for this, are the same false expectations I'll have on my children. And this is, a, this is me testifying. I recognize that at times there are false expectations that I have on me. And without me knowing it, because I have this distortion in me, that can creep into the way I do parenting. So there are nights like last night where I stay up to 12.30 and 1 o'clock and I say, God, you have to deal with me. Because I can't have these false expectations ruining my children. And I would say to you that your false expectations, the way you feel about yourself, the way you do parenting is directly connected to the way you see God sees you. Directly connected to the way you feel God feels about you. God is angry at you, you're angry at you. And others will think you're angry at them. I'm telling you, it is directly connected. But I'm going to tell you something. God cares for the way you feel about him. And he feels deeply about you. He feels so deeply about you that he bankrupted heaven. He gave the best of heaven to save you. To deliver you from your sins. So that you can not only just be set free and have a fresh start. But so that you can be called sons and daughters of the living God. Are you with me today? And that says a lot about the way God feels about us. Ephesians is such a letter where Paul is speaking to believers and he's encouraging them about God's attitude towards them, God's intentions towards them, and, and his love towards them. And I, as we go through the scripture, I just hope that you would receive this and understand that this is the love, this is the way that God wants to pour himself out towards those that believe in him. The word of God reads this way. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 1 on down. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice this. Paul is confident in who he is in God. I am Paul and I am an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And he's confident who he's writing to. He's confident he's writing to saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. And then he doesn't cease to speak life. He begins to speak life. Grace to you. Peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been speaking about speaking life. Look at how intentional Paul is about speaking life. Are you speaking life? Speak life over your family and over yourself. Then he goes on. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, let worship, let adoration, let praise let honor be given and ascribed to God and, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us. 
in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen. Thank you for your word. Give us clarity today. Give me clarity to speak it and receive it. Give us clarity and the power and the anointing God to, 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 to just let it come in. Impart your wisdom in us today. Set us free from wrong, wrong perspectives of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In this scripture, in this city of Ephesus, Paul spent an incredible amount of time. Unlike Colossians or Thessalonica or maybe even Philippi, Paul was able to spend at least two years in Ephesus where he ministered the gospel of Jesus Christ and where God moved in such great power. The Bible says that that entire region in Asia was being completely transformed. So much so that even businesses were being affected by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even businesses, even the marketplace was being affected by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The power of God over Paul as he preached the gospel was so much that people would bring their handkerchiefs and, and pray, ask Paul to pray over them and take them home and people would be healed. People were being healed ex, in extraordinary ways. God was moving in such a way that he was breaking down idols, which were false, God, as false gods, as they were looking now to the real God, Jesus Christ, the Lord. Amen? And in the process of that, in the process of God's great power and God's great outpouring and Paul being there ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is something that we can bet on every time. Where God's real power is, there will always be real opposition, right? And Paul encountered some serious opposition where the silversmith who would make figurines and these idols that people would put in their homes and pray to, uh, they were, these people were losing their business because people were turning to God. Right. And in turning to God, they were forsaking their idols. And this is the people that Paul is writing to. This is the same people that Paul says to them before he goes into Jerusalem and is arrested. This is the same people that Paul gives his farewell. And he says to them, none of you who I've preached the gospel to, none of you will see my face again. He understands that he's going to a place. The Holy Spirit revealed to him that he will be afflicted, that he will find tribulation. And so this is who Paul is writing to, the saints in Ephesus, a people he loved, a people he poured an insurmountable amount of time with, a people that he called the elders to him when it was time for him to say goodbye, people he cherished, a people he said farewell to, a people who were well acquainted with the power of God and never ever knew a gospel that had no power. Ephesians is such a letter that speaks to the power and the magnitude of the presence of God in his church. And here in this portion of scripture that we just read, Paul is describing to the Ephesians, those of Ephesus. He is describing to them how they have been blessed by God. 
how those who are in Christ are blessed by God. And he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. He says, do you know how richly you've been blessed? You, do you know how much God has given you? Do you know how much the heavens have been opened up to you? And he says this word, this word that the church as a whole is really in a divide. He says this word predestined, speaks about predestination. And how are we to interpret the word predestination? Some would say predestination means that God has selected only a few to be saved and only a few to make it to heaven. And they have Calvin's perspective of salvation. And in his perspective, the whole world was in a boiling pot of God's wrath. And God was so merciful that he only selected a few. So there are those who hold the view that most people have been condemned to hell already. God has only selected a few. We are not a church of that persuasion. We believe that God has given us free will. And so we look at predestination in a totally different light. You're either, typically there are churches who believe in predestination in the sense that everybody's condemned to hell and then there's a few that God's picked out or your free will and you believe that God's will is that none should perish but that all will come to eternal life, right? And so we have to, we view predestination from a different perspective and I'd like to share that with you. The word predestination, the definition for that is proriso. If we go to the next slide. Slide. And proriso means to predetermine or to set the course. It is commonly used in the Greek to speak of beginnings and intentions as opposed to final destinations and absolute state. So when the word predestination here was used in the scripture, when the, the moment that the writers wrote this, uh, pre, predestined, proriso, was used commonly by parents when they spoke of the way that they would set a course for their children. How many here are parents? How many here do the best that they can to set a course so that their children will have the right path to make the right decisions? How many here would say, you know what, I'm doing everything that I can to make sure that my kid goes to a good school, uh, make sure that my kid makes the right decision wherever he's at? I'm making sure that I'm, you know, setting such a path that, they, that, that I'm predestining. I am setting the course for them so that they would choose life and not death. Do we have parents like that today? I believe that the word predestination speaks to the fact that God has ordered certain things. He's predestined certain things, set up in such a way so that we would turn to Him and choose life instead of death. I do not believe that the word predestination speaks to the fact that God has set our final state, meaning that I don't believe that God has purposely destined a massive drove of people to go to an eternal hell fire. That contradicts the very heart of God throughout the entire scripture. If God determines so many people to go to hell, knowing that people are born with a sinful nature, then what does that speak about his nature and the way that he views us? What does that speak about evil and where it comes from? You see, it doesn't line up with the character of who God is. God has predestined. When it speaks of predestination, it speaks to the reality that yes, that God has set the course. That God's intentions are such. And it, and it reads this way. Uh, verse 4. 
verse, verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. When God created us, his intentions is that we would be like him. He called us among all of creation to be like him. In love, he predestined us, not in hate, not in wrath. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Well, how has God set the course for us that we would be adopted? Do you see that? His desire is that we will be adopted by him as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. And whose will is it that we would turn to God? Whose will is it that we would be adopted and embraced by him? It's God's will. It is his desire. It speaks to the nature of God towards those who turn to him. It is his longing, not only to clean us up and say, I gave you life, try to do better next time, but to say to us, come close. I want to adopt you. You belong to me. And he goes on and says, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And again, it says, we have been blessed in Christ to have every spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. We have been blessed in the beloved. Beloved. So it speaks also to the fact that in Christ, God has ordered for us to be blessed. In other words, for those who say, I recognize that I need a savior. I recognize that I'm a sinner in need of God to intervene and save me. I recognize that I need to cry out to Jesus for salvation. That for those who turn to God, God has destined for them to be blessed Not partly, not just with a little bit, not just this for that one and that for this one. No, but with every spiritual blessing from the bank of heaven. Do you see that today? Not just with, with, you know, the resources here on earth. But God has blessed us in Christ Jesus, in Christ His Son, through the cross, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. In other words, God has given us everything we need to live for Him. Everything we need to live here on earth, to know his blessing, to know his joy, to know his peace, to know his presence, to see his power being manifested amongst his people, to see his power being manifested in our lives, right? To see salvation in our home. He's given us everything that we need for life. He has blessed us and his blessings come from heaven. In other words, his resources are unending toward those who believe. Do you see that today? God's resources towards His people are unending because He is the bank. He is our resources. He is our God. He's not, he's not the FDIC. You ever heard the story of the Great Depression back in the 1930s? How people were putting their monies into the bank, but then when the Great Depression came, poof, all that money was gone because the banks couldn't secure money that they didn't have, Right? People were storing up treasures and something that was taken away from them. Well, let me tell you, our God is not like that. Right? And every resource that we have in God, they, they are set and for sure because our bank is in the heavens. Jesus is our resource. He's all that we need. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He's adopted us. And I want you to consider what it means to be blessed with every spiritual blessing as we go on to the next slide. This is, again, this is God's disposition. This is God's desire for us. If we go to the next slide. The next slide. And I actually meant, no, that's a good one. (laughs) God has blessed us with all spiritual blessing. If you read those verses, I'm going to read them really quickly and just look at this slide and we'll come to a close with this. It says, in him, we have redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of our sins or our trespasses or crossing the boundary line. 
according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of times to untie all things, to unite unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. So here you have, what is it to be spiritually blessed by God? Number one, through His blood we've been redeemed, right? And what does that redemption bring? The redemption of God brings forgiveness. And by the way, it comes from His riches, from the riches of God. You have been forgiven from the tank of God's great wealth. You understand that today? That means that God's forgiveness towards you as you repent of your sins, they're unending. Is there a sin right now that just clouds your mind that you can't even pray to God because you feel like God can never forgive you of what you've done? His grace. Listen to what He wants to do. Give you His incredible, rich forgiveness. Secondly, deliverance. Praise God, He doesn't only forgive us, He delivers us. I don't know about you, there's come a point in a man's life and a woman's life where they sin and they enjoy the sin and then the sin enjoys them. Point in one's life where the sin is enjoyable and a delight and then the sin enslaves and holds captive. Whatever it may be, whether it be a drug addiction or whether it be anger or whether it be impulse or whether it be lust or whether it be pornography or whether it be whatever it may be, that's just the reality of sin. God delivers us from that stronghold so that even when we fall short afterwards, we're not owned by sin. We can walk away and choose Christ. And He cleanses us. So not only does He forgive us, and not only does He deliver us, but He cleanses us. He says to us, you're brand new. You don't even have to carry the guilt or the shame of the sin sickness. He brings revelation to our lives. And that revelation, that wisdom that He pours out gives us conviction. Convicts us of the fact that we need Him. We need to be saved. We need to be delivered. We need His grace. Secondly, it gives us understanding. When we come to Christ, we understand Him more. We see how things are really happening. It opens up our eyes to the reality of the love of God and the grace of God and that He calls us and that we, love him, uh, that we are called to love Him. Third, He gives us His wisdom. In Revelation comes conviction, understanding, and wisdom. How many can testify that when you came to the Lord and you gave your life to Him, something happened. All of a sudden you had other desires. All of a sudden you had a longing to please Him. It's a revelation of God. And third, there's a reward. Being blessed with every spiritual blessing means that God redeems you, God reveals things to you, and God rewards you. But not with an inheritance or a reward here on earth, uh, just on earth, But He rewards you with eternity, with salvation, with His Holy Spirit, which is a seal over you. And let me just describe what that means. When the Holy Spirit seals us, the word actually there that's used for seal is actually kept secret. Kept secret. So it speaks to how the Holy Spirit comes over someone's life and becomes a refuge over them. And keeps them in the midst of the storm and the trials of life. God, for those who believe in Him, those who turn to Him, the Bible says that He's blessed us with every spiritual blessings. Every spiritual blessing. Now, how richly has He blessed us? The Bible says that the way He's blessed us is that He's lavished these things on us. Lavished. 
I want you to think about that. Lavish means overabundance, profusely, to pour out not only what's needed, but beyond what's needed. And not just some, some poor, cheap wine, but lavish means extravagantly pouring out quality over someone's life. This is the way God loves you. This is the way God wants to pour out his grace and forgiveness towards you. How does God view you today? Boy, if you're a sinner today, he'll say to you today, I died on the cross to pay for your sins, to redeem you of that guilt, that you would be mine. And if you're a Christian today battling with condemnation, he would say to you, I died on the cross to pay for your sins, to redeem you of your guilt so that you could be mine. It's the grace and the love of God, his will that none should perish, but that all will come to eternal life. Do you know that his demeanor, his temperament towards you is that you would run toward him so that he would run toward you, so that you would receive all that he's doing as he's running toward you. Just stand with me today. There's enough grace for you. Do you know that today? Mark, there's enough grace for you. Victor, there's enough grace for you. Brother Anthony, there's grace for you. There's enough grace for you. There's enough grace for you. There's grace. God hasn't run out of love. He hasn't. And he has set the course for you to turn to him that you would receive his adoption. Now you know that just because we set the course for our children, it doesn't mean that they choose rightly, right? I can set the course, and my children sometimes may choose to do the wrong thing, right? Heaven was perfect, and the third of the angel made a bad decision. Right? God has set the course that we would turn to his son. God has set the course that we would turn to his son. And now there is predestination in the sense that there are two paths, obedience and disobedience, turning to Christ or turning away. In Christ, when you're awakened in him, new dreams, new desires, and the calling that God's placed in you from the moment he made you will come alive. But sin only has one destination. Sin wants to predestine our lives to death. So there's really two paths that have been predestined. A path that leads to life and a path that leads to death. How will you respond to the love of God today? Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads with me today? Instead of seeing God as an angry, auditing, an angry auditing God looking at your sin sickness and how you constantly fall short but you see a father at the door waiting for the son to return instead of seeing God is condemning you would you see a father at the door waiting to forgive 
instead of seeing God as rushing to judge. Because he's never rushing to judge. If he would have rushed to judge, he wouldn't be patient, right? Would you see a God who's looking to pour out his grace on you? Hallelujah. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I need to receive God. I need to God, I need to I need God to change my perspective. I walk around like feeling like God is always angry at me. Feeling like there's not enough grace for me. Like there's no way the Lord could save me. I understand today that He loves me. That He wants to save me. And today I want to give my life to Him. That's you right where you're at. Would you raise your hand right where you're at? To raise your hand right where you're at. You're saying, I need to give my life to the Lord. I want to give my life to God today. To raise your hand right where you're at. Amen. Amen. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, Pastor... I, like you, have been saved for many years. But I can't seem to shake this perspective of God being disappointed in me. What do I do with that? What do I do with that? Let me just counsel you that every day I wake up, I got to speak verses over my life. And I have to say, no, I'm the righteousness of God. I am saved by grace. He loves me. He has given his salvation to me. He has chosen me. I haven't chosen him. It is his grace. It is his grace. It is his mercy. And I speak to myself because I have to remind myself that he loves me. And every day, it's a new battle. So I encourage you to speak to yourself the word of God and believe. I also encourage you to confess it and let it go. Confess it and let it go. Today, if that's you, you're saying, that's me. I'm battling with that condemnation, feeling so unworthy of God. Today, I want to let go of that right now. To raise your hand right where you're at. Right where you're at. Right where you're at. Hallelujah. Father, in Jesus' name right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I thank you for freedom, Lord, over your children. Freedom, God, over your church. I thank you for freedom over their minds. Freedom over their hearts. Lord, I thank you for freedom, oh God, right now from condemnation. And I thank you for salvation. I thank you for freedom from the skewed perspective that you're so angry and destructive toward them. Deliver us from the lie of the devil. That's not who you are. God, I thank you for your mercy and your compassion. I thank you for your mercy and your compassion. Thank you, God, for for your wells don't run dry toward those who continue to turn to you. Father, I speak life and blessing. Pray God continue to draw us close to you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The altars are open today. If you're here and you need prayer or you need to spend some time with God at the altar, to make your way to the altar. We love to pray with you. We love to give you the opportunity to respond to God, to respond to His mercy. Amen. God bless you. May His grace shine on you. Know that His love is for you. Amen. Bless you today.